Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. from before mine eyes cease to do evil learn to do well seek judgment relieve the oppressed judge the fatherless plead for the widow come now and let us reason together saith the Lord though your sins be as scarlet they shall be white as snow Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Most of us are familiar with at least this one verse of Scripture, verse 18. And I want you to note that there. It says, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Come now, let us reason together. I want to preach for the next few moments upon this subject, a reasonable God, a reasonable God. I want the Lord to help us. We need his anointing in the remainder of this service. And would you join with me right now? Let's pray together for his touch, his blessing upon the remainder of our time together this morning. Jesus, we have need of you. We desire you. We pray, God, for your help. We're believing, God, for your touch. We're praying, Jesus, for your mighty hand of anointing to be upon our lives here today. We want your word to minister to each and every need that is here. God, if there would be someone here that does not have the wonderful gift of your spirit, I pray that you would fill them with the Holy Ghost today. There's someone here that has not been baptized in the name of the Lord. I pray that you would move upon their heart. They would repent of their sins and be baptized in your name for the remission of those sins. I'm asking you to bless and remind us of your rich mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. And could the church say amen? Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord once again? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you so much for standing and you may be seated. A reasonable God. As I was reading this passage recently, the word reason arrested my attention. Uh, The word reason in its verb tense as it is used here means to think, to understand, and form judgments or opinions. And perhaps the best definition that I found was this, to talk with another so as to influence actions or opinions. 
But as I begin to ponder this subject and think about reasoning, reasonable, the word reason, uh, there's so many things that I had to acknowledge about God that is unreasonable. Certain things that there is just no dispute. They are cut and dry. There's no argument. There's absolutely no debate concerning those subjects. They are unequivocal in the Word of God. For instance, when we study the book of Genesis, and you go all the way back to the story of the beginning of the world and how uh, that the Lord established it and He made, created that first man, Adam. The Bible says that He formed him from the dust of the earth and He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul, which made him unique from any other of the creation that had been created in that period of time. Uh, he was distinct from the animal kingdom. He was distinct from any other form of life. But Adam was a living soul. And he placed this first man in a beautiful and luscious garden. Uh, that would supply every appetite, every desire, and every need that Adam would ever possess. It could be satisfied in that garden. It was a very fruitful place. It was a beautiful place. The Bible even uses this word that it was paradise. It was a place that was uh, to take care of Adam and to help him with every need and every desire that he would have. As I think about fruitful places, my mind goes to the San Joaquin Valley of California. It is known as one of the most productive, if not the most productive, region of the world. I read somewhere that 250 crops are produced in the San Joaquin Valley. Just about every fruit that you would desire and imagine is produced there. There's apples, there's apricots, there's cherries, there's blueberries, there's grapes. If you get tired of grapes, there's peaches, there's figs, there's pears. If you get tired of those, then there's plums and there's strawberries. And everybody likes strawberries. Many of you have probably eaten at one time or another and uh, maybe even seen on the box uh, that the strawberries that you were partaking of came from California. And uh, more than likely, they either came from the Castro Valley of California around Watsonville or the San Joaquin Valley of California. And there's many other fruits that I could not even uh, list or take the time to list here this morning. But it is a plentiful place when it comes to fruits. Now, there are a few nuts that are there also, but uh, we won't talk about them this morning. The garden was a place of plenty. Everything that was needed, everything that was desired, God places man in a plentiful place. And the word plentiful and plenteous is a word that is used multiple times in the word of God. Over and over again, the psalmist talks about uh, the plentiness of God and how plentiful God is and how that God blesses his people with plenty. In the book of Proverbs, the wise man writes, this is my favorite, honor the Lord with 
thy substance and with the first fruits of all thy increase. And so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. In other words, there's a principle that is uh, given to us here in chapter 3 of the book of Proverbs, that if we give to the Lord what is His, then He will place us in a plentiful place and cause us to be fruitful, and everything that we have need of, God will take care of us. I know about you, but that's a pretty good deal. He talked about the first fruit. If we'll pay our tithe and give our offering unto the Lord, then the Lord will bless us and give back to us, and we'll always have our needs taken care of. Yet historically, man, human beings, have always seemed to have a propensity to want to circumvent that, to want to shortcut that. Adam uh, could have had all that was in the garden, everything to satisfy his hunger that was needed was available to him. And there was only one tree that the Lord stipulated, I don't want you to eat of that tree, for in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. And it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Eat as much as you want, as much as you desire. Take all that you are hungry for. Verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Did that mean that there would be an immediate death that would take place or that God would strike Adam dead? No, we, we understand that the process of death, death was not known to Adam in the beginning. Death was not something that was even intended from the beginning. But because of sin, the Bible said the wages of sin is death. When lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin, James said. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. There was a process of dying that was started in Adam's life. And he said, you can have everything, you, everything you desire, all that you want. You can have all of this and all you want of this. But again, man has this propensity to seek and desire the things that are forbidden. Also, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 3 that the tree that uh, is, is in the garden that the Lord does not want Adam to partake of, the Bible says that it was strategic, strategically placed in the garden, that it was in the midst or in the middle of the garden. I'm going to tell you, if you choose to sin, sin is not obscure. Sin is not hidden, but sin is something that is available, something that is accessible and always has been, even from the beginning. If a person has a desire to sin, it's easy to do so. You'll never find sin being an obscured thing, but sin is always readily available to those that have an appetite for it, for those that have a desire for it. It's always 
accessible to them. But God told Adam and that Adam that thou shalt not eat of it. It's unequivocal. It's not something that is to be debated. It's something that uh, is without argument. This is not to be reasoned. We're, we're not going to talk about this any further. You're, you're not going to change my mind when it comes to partaking of this tree. But that's just the way it is. That's the commandment that God gave. Don't eat of it. And the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Let's look a little further in the Word of God. Let's look to Adam's sons. Adam must have shown his sons and had taught his sons how to worship God and how to properly worship God. Because when they grew to the age when they was to worship God with their own, uh, the own, their own fruits of their labor and their own flocks that they possessed, the Bible says uh, that they knew exactly how this sacrifice was to take place. They knew exactly how this sacrifice was to be offered unto the Lord. And the scripture says that the Lord would require them a blood sacrifice. And the Bible says something interesting in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 4. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. Notice that Abel and his offering, it says, and Cain and his offering, reminding us that the worshiper and the worship that is offering is connected to one another. It's impossible for us if we're not coming with the right attitude, if we're not coming to God with the right spirit to offer worship that can be acceptable unto the Lord. But it's the attitude and the faith that is involved with the worshiper that makes that worship acceptable unto God. And the Bible says that for Cain's sacrifice, God had no respect for it. I know that we talk a lot about respect, and I think it's important. It's an important part of our relationship with God that we respect not only the things of God, the things that are anointed by God. We not only respect God's Word and respect God Himself, but I believe as Christians we are to respect many things that are ordained of God and that God has put in place in our lives. And we talk about respect and it's necessary that we have respect. But you ever thought about what God respects? What is it that God looks at? And he has respect for. And the Bible says that he had respect for Abel's sacrifice. But for Cain's sacrifice, there was no respect for it. I don't know about you, but I want to be a respectable person in the eyes of God. When God looks down at my worship, he sees worship that is absent of hypocrisy. He sees worship that is absent of pride. When the Lord looks down at my worship and my prayer and my offering that I bring to the altar, He looks at it and has respect for it. 
because only that that God is able to respect can he move to answer and to respond to and to work with. I'm thankful that God is a God that is able to not only demand respect of us, but he's a God that also respects the individuals that worship him in purity, that worship him with the absence of hypocrisy, that worship him with a heart of sacrifice and desire to please God. Is there anyone here this morning that has that attitude that says, God, I want you to respect my worship. When I come to your house, I realize I can't just live any old way I want to live throughout the week and stumble in here and be in your presence and receive your respect. But when I come to the house of God and I lift up my hands, I want to be able to lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. When I come into this sanctuary and I pray prayers unto you, I want you to be able to answer those prayers and respond to those prayers. I want you to respect my offering, O oh God. Worship and the worshiper are inextricably linked together. You can't separate the two. Amen. In other words, you can't just say words that are good words, maybe even uh, as you're worshiping the Lord, you're quoting scriptures, you're quoting psalms unto the Lord. You're, you're quoting words that were divinely inspired, that were written by holy men of old. But if you don't have a heart like they had, if you don't have a heart that is respectable before God, those words are empty words. Those words are not respectable unto the Lord. Amen. And God said, I'm not going to reason with your sacrifice that is unacceptable to me. You thought that you could take a shortcut. You thought you could offer something than what I required. You thought that you didn't have to follow the word of God to the letter. You thought that I would accept something less than total obedience. And Cain, I have no respect for your sacrifice. God did not reason with him. Let's go a little further in the word of God to a man by the name of Noah. The Bible says when an entire age of people, an entire world at that time was totally and completely given over to sin insomuch that God repented that he had even created man. The Bible says that wickedness was so rampant that evil was so overwhelming in the world that people were involved in everything that was unimaginable, everything that uh, seemed uh, opposite of what God had created them for. They had no real consciousness about the things of God. There was no, there was no desire to do anything to please the Lord. Every man was living according to his own whim and will and desire and appetites of his heart. And his thoughts were evil, the Bible said, continually, always pondering upon sin, always an imagination that was bent towards sin. But the Bible said, out of the midst of the sin and the evil that abounded in the world, that Noah found grace in the sight of God. Man was given over to sin. Multitudes of people 
were following after the desires and the appetites of their heart, totally uh, rebelling against what God had required of them. Yet there was this one man by the name of Noah that stood up against the tide and said, I'm not going with the course of this world. I'm not living according to the things that, that the multitude and the crowd says that is acceptable. But I want to be obedient to God. I want to do something that will please the Lord. I don't want to live contrary to Him. I don't want to grieve the Spirit of God. But I want to live righteously before Him. And God noted that. I'm going to tell you, God still notes people that live righteously before him. God still, amen, notices people that when everybody else is going after what feels good to the flesh and what they desire to do within their flesh, someone that says, I'll be disciplined enough to make the right decision. I'll make the right choice and commit myself to God and to serving the Lord. I want to please God with all of my heart. I'm not just interested in the approval of the crowd. I'm not just interested in following along and getting along with the crowd. But God, if you'll help me, if you'll help me to stand, I want to live a righteous life, a godly life. I want to please you with my decisions and my choices. The Bible says as a result he found grace in the sight of God. And the Bible tells us that God said, you know, I cannot just judge this world and wipe man into oblivion and not give Noah a way to be saved, a way to be spared from this judgment. And so God begins to deal with Noah and he says, make, make you an ark of gopher wood. He said, I want you to build it. And I, I think sometimes we just assume that Noah, because when God spoke this to him, that for the rest of that time, 120 years from the time God dealt with him until the flood came, we just assume sometimes that from that point on that, that Noah just every day worked on the ark and nothing else, that that consumed his life from that point or that period on. But uh, there's, there's no evidence of that. In fact, there's evidence that he had to make time to build that ark because we know that he was a vine dresser by trade. And so with all the responsibilities that he had, just like you and I have responsibilities on a day-to-day -day basis, occupations and responsibilities in the home and, and uh, providing for family and taking care of business, these were all things that Noah was also familiar with. He had a vineyard, perhaps, to take care of. He had a family that he was raising up during this time. He had sons, and, and uh, he had a wife that he had to provide for. He had a home that he had to maintenance and to take care of. All of these things and these responsibilities were to bear upon Noah, but yet Noah made time made time to do the most important thing in his life and that was to prepare himself an ark to build an ark for the saving of his household i'm going to tell you if you're going to serve god you're going to have to make time to serve god amen it's not going to be something that is easily 
done. It's not. I realize that all of us have responsibility. All of us have things that are vying for our attention. There's there's commitments that we have. There's there's the need for providing for a family. There's the business that takes uh, time that we are involved in when it comes to our home and and uh, the things that we do in the community. All of those things are important, but they're not the most important thing. For the most important thing is my relationship with God and being saved. While there was a vineyard that had to be maintained, while there was a vineyard that had to be taken care of and dressed, had to be irrigated and it had to be pruned and it had to, at the harvest time, uh, there had to be a reaping of the harvest and he had to be sensitive to all of those things, had to keep the had to keep the wild animals out of the vineyard, had, had to keep the pestilence out of the vineyard, had to make sure that the health of the vines were always intact. But aside from all of that, that was not the most important thing. The most important thing is when God spoke to him, if I'm going to be saved, I must build an ark. I am going to be saved and my family is going to have a chance to be saved. I have got to do what I must do to build an ark that God has commanded me to build. He had to make time for it. I'm going to tell you, this is something that is more and more the temptation of the hour that we're living in is people just don't see the need to take the time and to, to put forth the diligence to serve God like they should. Amen. More and more it's becoming a commitment that is only out of convenience that we only think of in terms of, well, I've done what everybody else is doing. I've done what is expected of me. I've put enough time in uh, to take care of that. If I come to church on Sunday morning, well, that's all that's really expected of me. And, and if you could believe it, there's a lot of churches that are kind of accommodating that kind of attitude in our world today. But I want to tell you, that's not in the Bible. The Bible tells us so much the more as you see the day approaching. Could I remind you one more time, just as it was in the days of Noah, the Bible said it's going to be in the days of the Son of Man. It's going to take time that is set aside unto God to come to God's house. What are we doing when we enter this house? I'll tell you what we're doing. One thing we're doing is we're building an ark for the saving of ourselves and the saving of our household. What are you doing when you pray on a daily basis? I'm building an ark. What are you doing when you come on Wednesday night? I'm building an ark. What are you doing when you pay your tithes? I'm building an ark. What are you doing when you worship God faithfully? I'm building an ark. What are you doing when you come and hear the Word of God? I'm making decisions that are building an ark. It takes time. It takes time that you sacrifice unto God. And then he said, not only that, you're going to have to use some of your precious resources to get the job done. You're going to have to go and cut the gopher trees. And maybe maybe they were plentiful. Maybe they were not. Maybe there were those that he would have loved to have kept, you know, I remember my grandfather being a avid, um, I guess, 
tree planter, and he'd buy a place, and one of the first things he would do when he purchased the place, that property, he would do his best to beautify it, and one of those things that he did to beautify it was to plant trees on it. He would plant all kinds of trees, beautiful trees, maple trees, and elm trees, and, and then fruit trees, and uh, he, would, he would have them strategically placed across the property, and and he would take care of them and nurture them. And uh, he, he didn't want anybody cutting those trees down to make firewood out of it. He didn't want anybody cutting those trees down or even uh, us young men, young boys at the time, roughhousing around, playing football in the yard. He'd say, be careful with my, my saplings that are out there, the little trees that he had planted because he didn't want any damage to be done to them. And uh, maybe, perhaps, I don't know, but maybe maybe these particular trees provided shade. Maybe these particular trees were something that was uh, Noah was attached to in some way. I, I don't know. We're, we're, we're just extrapolating from the Word of God. But I do know one thing. They were His resources. They may have been used for other things. They may have built other things. But the gopher wood was dedicated the gopher wood that grew on Noah's property was dedicated for one purpose. He said, we're going to build an ark with this. We're not going to build a barn with this. We're not going to build a house with this. We're not going to build stalls for the animals with this. We're not going to build fence with this. But this gopher wood that's on this property has one purpose, and it's dedicated for one thing, and that is to build an ark for the saving of this household. Do you understand that? That's what we're going to do with it. I'm going to tell you, if you're going to live for God, you're going to have to dedicate some of your resources Sources to live for God. You're going to have to realize that when I come to the house of God, amen, I'm going to bring an offering unto Him. I'm not just coming to absorb, but I'm coming to give. I'm not just coming to receive something, but I'm coming to offer something. And when we come with that kind of attitude, that I give the resources of my time, I give the resources of my energy, I give the resources of my materialism, I give the resources of my monetary gift gains. Amen. I'll offer them to the Lord. God can bless that. I said God can honor that. God, amen, can save a person that makes up their minds that I'm going to be obedient, not just in word, but in deed. Oh, come on. Let's clap our hands to the Lord this morning. And of course, there was the work and the energy that had to be put forth to build that ark. And that had to be dedicated unto the Lord. You know, there's more to living for God than just showing up. There's more to living for God than just being present in body. But when we get here, this is the house of worship. This is the house of prayer, the Bible says. This is a place where we come to dedicate unto the Lord and we come to consecrate our lives. We come to commit ourselves. We come to give our all. 
And as we do so, God can honor that. God can bless that. And worship is not something that is always uh, spontaneous. Worship is not something that is always uh, just easy to do. Amen. But sometimes uh, you have to fight through the flesh and the distractions and the hindrances, uh, maybe even feelings and emotions that are there, and say, God, you're worthy no matter what I feel like, no matter what I'm facing, no matter what my emotional level is right now, no matter what. I have faced or gone through in the last few days when I get to your house you're worthy of my best you're worthy of my all I come to lift up my hands to you I come to sing songs of praise to you I come to shout if necessary I come amen with my voice amen ready to worship and ready to praise God hallelujah hallelujah Come on, sometimes we just we just clap mindlessly, but but when we really get engaged in what's going on, the Bible said, clap your hands, all you people, but it also said, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Amen. Get your heart in it. Get 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 involved in it. Be sure that you're putting forth the energy that is necessary really to worship God and to give thanks and praise unto the Lord. I just wonder on this Sunday morning, has God blessed anybody that's in this place? Has God been good to anyone that is in this house? Has God saved you, filled you, sanctified you? Amen. Are you here this morning full of the Holy Ghost? Are you here a recipient of God's mercy and grace in your life? Why don't you throw your hands up and give Him some praise right now? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. He gave him the dimensions of that ark. He told him how it was to be built. You can be seated. Exactly how it was to be built. Every cut that was supposed to be made. These are the dimensions. This is how long it is. This is how wide it is. This is how many rooms that are in it. This is the window that you're going to fashion in the ark. This is exactly how I want it to be completed. This is exactly how I want it to be built. And that was not up for debate. That was not something that God wanted to negotiate about. That was not something that he wanted Noah to cut corners on. That was not something that he said, we can, we can, I'm open for suggestions. We could talk about this. That was not the case at all. But the Bible says the issue was settled. This is the way I want it. If you expect to be saved, Noah, this is how you're going to be saved. This is the ark that is going to rise above the judgment that is to come to this world. This is the ark and how it's to be built if you intend on being saved. God was unreasonable. Let's look in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 19, Mark chapter 10, and Luke chapter 8. There's an account that is given of a rich young ruler who came to Jesus. And he says this, 
Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And the Lord asked him, Why callest thou me good? And they have a little discussion. And then finally he said, You know what you need to do. You need to keep the commandments. And I can see that proud, preening young man as he adjusts his robe and says, Well, all of those things I've done since I was a youth, or I've done them from my youth up, the Bible says. Jesus begins to enumerate what they are. Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And as he's listing them off, I can see in his mind that young man, he's, he's going down the checklist, putting an X by each one of them, saying, I, I got it. I, I, I'm good on that. I, I got that taken care of. And you can almost see the pride oozing out of this young man who was a rich young ruler which seems to indicate that anything that he had he probably inherited it he didn't work for it himself he didn't get it by his own skill in his own hands but rather it had been handed to him and yet he is printing with pride. I've done this. I've got the checklist. Man, I've got it all taken care of. And then Jesus looks at him head on and says, Everything you have, sell it, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the Bible tells us that he walked away sorrowful. One place walked away, basically the same meaning, sad. Because he had much possessions. And uh, he, he didn't want to give that up. And what is the lesson here? The lesson is simply this. That anything that becomes more important to you than God will hinder you from really serving God. And following God. If you're unwilling to lay it on the altar. If you're unwilling to surrender it. If you're unwilling to give it to God. Somebody said, well, there's proof right there that somebody with means can, cannot be saved. That's not what that is saying. What it is saying is, is that whatever you possess in life cannot matter more to you than your relationship with God. And that is the test of the days that we're living in is people allow things. They allow positions. They allow careers. They allow many other things to hinder them because it means more to them than their relationship with God. And pride is at the top of that list. Pride is at the top of that list. And many times it's not really even, pride is such a deceitful thing, it's not really the opinions of others. It's the opinion that one has of themselves. And the opinion that one has of themselves is often not even close to the opinion that others have. And so it's all a mirage in the first place. They think that through their self-importance, I can never surrender my pride in an altar. I can never really submit myself to God. I can never be broken before the Lord. Amen. I'm going to tell you, it's only in your mind that you're that important anyway. 
It's only in your mind that you really uh, could could ever feel that 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 way is is in within yourself. Amen. That's not the way that others view you, and that's certainly not the way that God views you. We need to have an attitude that says, "I'm coming before God." Amen. Realizing that I am but dust that He created to for and form to worship Him and live for Him and to serve Him. Let's get this back in perspective. Let, let's get this back in order. Let's get this back to what it really is. I'm not that important. I'm not so important that I could come to church and not worship God. I'm not so important that I can't be involved in the work of God. I'm not so far up on the ladder, amen, that I, I cannot get myself to the things of God and be obedient to His Word. There's none of us that are that important. God created us for the sole purpose of worshiping Him with our life and our commitment towards Him. Come on, let's lift up our voice and give praise to Him right now. Jesus didn't chase Him down. Jesus didn't run after Him. Jesus didn't say, you know, you got so much and you're so talented and you have so many abilities. I just hope you'll change your mind. No. Seems so unreasonable, doesn't it? So when Isaiah uses the terminology, let us reason together. What, what makes this different? Why all of a sudden is he willing to work with the situation? Why all of a sudden is he willing to give somebody a chance? Well, as you read and study through the first chapter of the book of Isaiah, you understand that Isaiah came upon the scene in the last 20 years of Uzziah's reign. And in fact, these first few chapters, you'll note that the nation, the people of God, God's chosen were living in idolatry. They were living in a situation where they were being rebellious towards what God had intended for them. They were not serving God. And sin was rampant in the land. And Isaiah's endeavoring through the help of the Lord and the anointing of God that is upon him to speak to those sins and call the people of God to repentance. And we know that in just a few chapters... Uzziah dies and he sees the Lord high and lifted up and his train fills the temple. And Uzziah represented the flesh, represented pride and all of those things that go along with it. But as you read through this first chapter, you'll find that the Lord is saying, you, you haven't stopped offering sacrifices. You haven't stopped praying prayers you, you haven't stopped with your oblations. You haven't stopped giving incense unto me. He said the only difference is, is while you give a sacrifice, I'm not found it acceptable. And when you offer incense, it's not a sweet savor to me. And when you pray prayers, I can't answer those prayers. And when you seek me, it's not that I can bend my ear to hear you or to respond to you because of the sin 
that you're so involved with. But he said, if you will wash yourself, I read it to you, and be clean. He said, then, he said, come to the table. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sin be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you will make yourself clean, in other words, if you will repent, if you will repent, then that changes the whole scenario here. There's nothing but judgment that you read about. There's nothing but God's displeasure with these people that you read about in preceding verses. He said they're praying, they're, 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 they're offering sacrifices and giving incense, but none of that is pleasing me because what's in their heart I cannot ignore. But if they will make themselves clean and if they will repent of their sins, that's going to change the whole situation. That's going to change the whole outcome. That sin that is like scarlet, I'm going to make it white as snow. Though it be red as crimson, I'm going to make it like wool. Amen. I'm going to clean them up. I'm going to make their prayers acceptable again. I'm going to make their worship acceptable again. Their incense that they offer is going to be sweet once again to me. When they repent, when they get their heart right with me, then, then, and only then can I accept them. This God that seems in so many instances so unreasonable, one word is able to change it all. One action that is taken is able to turn the whole situation around. And that one thing is repentance. I'm going to tell you, repentance is a powerful thing. I said repentance is a powerful thing. When a person comes to an altar and says, God, I'm willing to abase myself and be broken at your feet. I wanted to come up underneath the limbs of Calvary and allow your blood to wash me and cleanse me. I want to repent of my sin. God says, now we can talk. Now I can deal with you. Now I can help you. Now we can reason together. Now you can come to the table. Now I'll receive you. Now I'll try to help you. It's repentance. Why don't you stand to your feet right now? God said, I can work with someone who will repent. A little character contrast here in closing between Saul and David. On the surface, and to our human understanding, it would appear that David's sins were a whole lot more involved and a whole lot worse than Saul's. And yet, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And he leaves a legacy that we still preach about and teach about. We still glean from it and encouraged by and inspired by to this very day. And yet Saul, a man that was head and shoulders physically above all the other men of Israel, man that just looked like the obvious choice, a man that carried himself like a leader. I mean, he had all of the characteristics. But when the man of God would approach him about his sin, 
it was always a wrestling match. When the man of God would approach him about his sin, it was always a struggle. He simply would not easily repent before God. He had justified. He had tried to explain it away. He said, well, the reason why I had to do this, Samuel, why I sacrificed before you got here is because these people, you know, they were just upset, and I was afraid they was going to turn on me. And he'd blame somebody else and justify himself. Or the reason why I held back Agag and a few choice sheep here is because it just seemed like the right thing to do. When God, through the prophet, had said to slay all of the Amalekites, not leave one of them, not one baby, not one of their lambs, not any of them. And he thought to himself, that just can't be right. There's got to be a way around that. That that doesn't seem too reasonable. And he did it his way. And then when he was approached, when he was confronted by it or for it, the Bible says that he simply told the prophet Samuel, it's not a big deal. I mean, I did the majority of what you said. What a contrast between him and David. David, when the man of God came into the palace and pointed his finger at his chest and said, Thou art the man. David didn't get up and said, Get out of here. Who do you think you are? I am the king. I have the authority to put you to death. I have the authority to do whatever I want to do. Who do you think you are? He didn't say any of those things. But he said, I have sinned. And against thee and thee only, O God, have I sinned. And he said, I'm going to pray a prayer of repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In other words, because he was willing to repent, God was willing to reason with him about what the future was going to hold. Because he was willing to repent, it changed the whole order of things. Amen. It seemed like it was over with. It seemed like judgment was there. It seemed like anointing was going to be taken away forever. It seemed like it was hopeless. Another failure and another king has gone down the tubes and there's no hope. But one word changed it all. One man's action changed it all. That one man got up from his throne, took his crown and ripped it from his head, threw his scepter aside, ran off his royal garments and put on sackcloth and said God if you'll accept me I'm telling you I'm sorry for my sin and if you'll accept accept me and forgive me I I promise you I'm going to walk a different way I'm going to live a different life I want to serve you wash me thoroughly from my iniquity cleanse me from my sin what a contrast so, so what are you going to be here this morning? Let me ask you, what, what kind of attitude are we going to have here this morning? Are we going to be a Saul or are we going to be a David? Are we going to be a person that says, you know what? I, I just don't see a need for that. 
I, I, I think I'm justified in living how I live and doing what I do. I think I can get by and be saved and, you know, I've done enough. Maybe not all, but I've done enough that God is, you know, He's, he's merciful. But I think I've proven to you in, your, in this Bible here this morning that it's not about all of that. It, it, it's about if we're going to get God to be reasonable in our lives, we've got to be willing to repent before Him and say, God, it's not my will, but it's your will that I need to see done in my life. It's not about me trying to get by or justify a little inexcusable part of my life that I don't want to surrender on the altar, but I have to come to grips with myself and realize that I'm not anybody special, but God, you've required this of all men, the Bible says. Amen. Jesus looked to them and He said, likewise repent or you'll perish. He said, repent or every one of you are going to be lost. I'm going to tell you repentance shouldn't be something that we're reluctant to do. Repentance shouldn't be something that we shy away from. Repentance should be a part of our lives friend. A part of our serving God. When we learn how to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. There's hope for salvation. There's hope for restoration. There's hope that things can be repaired. There's hope that things can be turned around when we repent before God. The Bible said that godly sorrow worketh repentance. When we feel that nudge, when God smotes our heart, and we feel that need, and there is a regret. And we're sorry for the actions that we've taken. That's, that's where repentance begins. It worketh. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. That's not the end of it. It's not enough just to be sorry, but we've got to come to the altar and say, God, I confess it. I surrender to you, and I'm making a decision. Amen. I'm not just sorry I got caught. I'm not just sorry that, that things have turned out the way they have of late. I'm not just sorry in, in, the, in, in, in the temporary struggle that I'm in right now. And when the storm passes or when the trouble's gone, then I'll go back to doing what I've always done. But God, I'm truly sorry and I need your help and I want to be saved. If that's you this morning, why don't you step out from where you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a part of the church. It doesn't matter how long. Amen. You live for God. All of us need to be familiar with this action of repentance. All of us need to be familiar. Amen. With coming to God and saying, God, if there's anything in my heart that doesn't please you, if there's any part of me that is not right, I want to be saved, God. I want to be ready. I repent. I call on you, God. I need you today. Come on, let's step out here and pray and seek the face of God. Let's call on His name this morning. Let's call on His name this morning. Come on, let's reach out to Him here today. Let's, let's seek after Him here today. He's a reasonable God. When we repent, when we come clean before Him, He's a reasonable God. The Bible says that He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. When we confess our sin, that He can cleanse us 
of our sin. Hallelujah. Oh, God, you're such a reasonable God. As they begin to sing, I want you to reach out to the Lord right now. I want you to pray in earnest this morning. I want you to seek the face of God.